Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited for today's episode with another podcast host in Travis Apple, a podcast host for 52 Weeks of Hustle as well. He's in uh, the sports industry, has been for a while, and we'll get into his journey, uh, what he's doing now with General Sports Worldwide, uh, and much more. So Travis, excited for this. Welcome. Thanks, Jake. Really looking forward to it, and always a pleasure to talk to another podcast host. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, we're we're going to do a collaboration here where uh, Travis is on on the Life in the Front Office. I'll go on 52 Weeks of Hustle. Uh, and, it, and it's always fun being on the other end, uh, answering the questions, right? Yeah, but it really it's is. about your journey. And uh, I always like to ask, like, how did you get started with the podcast? But then what have you learned the most from the 100 plus, you know, guests that you've had on executives across the industry? Some are close friends. But I mean, is there something that stuck out to you along the way that you've learned? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to like why I started, it was always something, you know, that I always had a passion for. And I was like, this would be fun. And uh, one of the mentors in, in the business for me is a guy named Dr. Bernie Mullen, the, the, the founder and owner of the Aspire Group. And I was having lunch with him February of 2020, right before the, the world shut down for a little bit. And I said, Bernie, like, I'm thinking about having a podcast. And he was like, absolutely. You have all these people. I'm like, would you be a guest? Of course. And so I, I taped my first episode you know, in March of that year, right before the world shut down to, to, to launch in May. And it was kind of perfect timing. But the main reason kind of going back to that is my first week on the job ever in this business with the Atlanta Hawks and Thrashers and Bernie was the CEO of the company. And I was a 21 year old kid starting in inside sales. And Bernie said, Hey, like, if I can ever be of assistance, let me know. And so me being kind of dumb and crazy, I was like, emailed him, Hey, do you want to go grab lunch? And I just, I looked at that as like the CEO of a company who's always willing to give back the least I can do is try to give back. And so that's kind of why I started the podcast is I wanted to give back. I knew I had a, a very good network and a lot of people that love kind of sharing their story and sharing their advice and, you know, some great things and also some challenges this business faces. And so, yeah, I launched it. And I think to answer your second part, I think that's been the best part is being able to hear other people's journeys, um, some similar advice, some different advice, but also uh, having that ability. And then, you know, having people reach out to me on on LinkedIn or emails, or they'll see me in a conference, say, hey, I've listened to a lot of your episodes and it's helped me going into interview with that executive, or it's it's giving me some advice. I never thought about that day. So I couldn't be you know, more thankful for, for not only the listeners, but also the guests to be able to share their advice. I mean, you know how it is it, as, as and we've had a lot of crossover guests, like they have a busy schedule. So for them to dedicate 30 or 45 minutes to help out, you know, that everybody loves to give back in this industry. Yeah. And then they ask, well, how do you have time to do it all? I go, well, I record at like 7 a.m. before I yep. go to work, right? So sports you know, is non-traditional hours and certainly podcast hosting is the same. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, when you think about your 
first job having Bernie as a CEO. And then you think, you know, all the way to 2020, right? Where you're having that lunch conversation like full circle uh, in terms of advice on, on starting something different within your career. Have you had one specific mentor along the way or or if you kind of had a mentor in each place you've gone? Because, you know, you've worked for uh, teams in, in multiple leagues. You've worked for a league office. I mean, how have you gone about that process uh, depending on where you've been? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I've got multiple mentors um, and, you know, and I always tell people, you know, because everybody will ask like, well, what's it take to get a mentor? Who should I find one? I'm like, why stop at one? It's no different than, you know, if you're in a sales business, why stop at one appointment or one referral? And I think, you know, mentors go both ways, you know, to have a, a really good relationship, it's got to have value on both sides. And so, you know, I haven't necessarily been looking at it as like, all right, every stop I can make, I need to find this, this dedicated mentor they it's organically happens. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's any reason you have to have, you know, one or two, you could have five, six, seven. And uh, it, it's one of those things like, what are you providing as a value to them as well? When you think about your journey, starting in inside sales, most people nowadays would be like, Oh, sales. Like, I don't know if I want to do sales. Right. And that's a foot in the door for one to get into the industry, but two, you also got in the door with sales and then continued with it on your path. Can you talk about what you've learned in the sales aspect of the business and advice insights for those listening to this going, why would I start in inside sales or why would I start in premium sales? Like, why should I do that? Whether you want that to be your career path or not. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for for young listeners that are still in college or, or maybe in high school that are looking to like, what am I going to do? I would challenge you to get as many internships and real life experience as possible. And, you know, I, in college, I was triple major in, in, in sports communication, journalism, electronic media production, nothing to do with sales. But through an internship, I started selling and realized I was a little greedy. I, I'm not going to lie. Like I like making money and this is back when interns didn't get paid and that's how I could get paid was, was selling. And so I just kind of knew that I wanted to get in sales. And, and as I got into sales and having success, but I think also it's control what you can control. Um, and, and, you know, I look at sales, I really look at any successful people it comes down to three big pieces of advice. It's you have a passion for this industry, a passion for your craft, a passion for your brand, do you have a work ethic? And it's easy to say, oh, I'm a hard worker. Like, are you willing to go above and beyond? And so if you start in sales and you're in that chair and you're asked to make 100 calls, are you the one making 75, 100, or 150? If you're asked to set 10 meetings, are you setting 5, 10, or 20? Like, are you truly willing to go above and beyond? And then the third piece is coachability. And we're in an evolving marketplace, ever-changing industry. Are you open to new ideas, new initiatives, and new learnings? Because um, those are the three things you can control. And so I looked at you know my career in, in sales. Like I didn't have near as much experience as a lot of people, but I knew, and, and still this day, I pride myself. Like I'm not going to let anybody outwork me. I'm going to, you know, whether that be the time commitment from an hour perspective to just going above and beyond. And and you know, I'm a big believer. Good things happen to good people if you put yourself in a good position. And so from a sales end, if if you're looking to, you know, you have the ability to to build your career pretty quickly. You can make really good money, um, but it's it's hard. It's a grind. It's a challenge for sure. I want to go back to your comment about working hard because you're right. Like everybody can say, oh, I work hard. Well, it's all perspective, right? Depending yep. on who you've been around, what working hard looks like. But there's also the working hard, but working smart. Yep. And, you know, what thoughts do you have that come to mind in the sense of 
you know, yes, there's the working hard, there's the 110 hours, there's the, you know, staying, you know, being first one there, last one to leave. But it's also like, okay, well, when you're at work, are you working every second of the day? Are you locked in? Are you focused? Are you mentally prepared? Are you physically prepared to be able to take on the tasks that, you know, face you that day? Like, I think there's an efficiency and an effectiveness that's also there. Again, a lot of different factors, but what thoughts come to your mind when you're like, hey, yes, it's a work ethic, but there's a lot of different components that go into it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jake. It's it's being efficient and effective. And I think, you know, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. And probably one of the the, the chapters that I get a lot of comments or or questions about are also like, hey, this really resonated was, you know, the whole people like you, and you've heard it, right? Oh, well, I work smarter, so I don't have to work as harder. And my challenge to anybody that says that, like, what if you would do both? Imagine how much more efficient, effective, and how much more revenue you could bring in or whatever your role is if you did both. And so that efficiency and effectiveness, I'm a big believer of this business. 95% of it's what's between your ears, like, and it's your mentality going into it. And so, you know, a small granular example, if, if you are, your day starts at 9am, are you the one coming in at 859? Then you got to go get your cup of coffee and talk to the people around you. And, you know, a lot of, uh, with, with sales and leadership training, I do, I, I do a time management exercise and I really build it out into four quadrants and the quadrant four is like time wasters. Like it's not important and it's, there's no urgency behind it. And if you look at it, most people, when they do that, if they're, if they're truly grading themselves, they're spending an hour, an hour and a half in time wasting activities, which is coffees, extended lunches, um, cell phones, right? And, and looking through social media, talking to their neighbors. And that's the way I look at it is like, can you be really successful in this business working 40 hours? Absolutely. But you need to work 40 hours. The challenge I always have to, to sellers or to anybody in this business, hey, if you're getting paid 40 hours, but you're truly only working 30 of them, yeah, you might have to put 50 hours in because that'll get you to your 40 hour mark. Um, and so I think- you have to be in any in anything in life, you've got to be able to hold yourself accountable. And if you aren't self-aware of what you're doing with your time and you're not holding yourself accountable to being efficient and effective, because there is a good opportunity to work really hard and to work really smart, and you'll be a hell of a lot even better. You'll, you'll be really good. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great point in the sense of, you know, there are ways to maximize your efficiencies, right? While also, you know, the hours, no no one's checking when when you're working, right? It's like, what do you got to do to mentally prepare yourself? What do you have to do to, you know, feel like you've got all the information you need or wh whatever the case is, um, that might be a Sunday night at nine o'clock, checking things, checking an email, right? Like whatever the case is, so you're prepared. Um, but and along those lines, uh, anything you do, like, you know, we've, we've talked about it, you and I have like working games. It's easy to say, okay, Hey, I'm working a game. And so, God, this sucks. I'm going to have to be here till 11 o'clock at night. And you just kind of check the box the way really good. And like elite professionals in our industry look at it is like, if I'm working a game, I'm going to get the most out of it. Cause I may have 20, 30, 40,000 people in here that could potentially be a customer of mine. And so, you know, it's also, it's like, are you willing to just not check the box? Yeah, maximize your time and yep. make the most of it. When you think about your journey uh, within the sales landscape, 
What's the one thing that you've learned along the way that's helped you now in your role at General Sports Worldwide? Yeah, I mean, I think you look in, and we can dive into to what I'm doing now, but I think it's it's able to resonate with people. And so, you know, this business, and I've spent my entire career in sales, people buy because they like trust and respect you. And so the value of building rapport. And so, you know, an easy example is as opposed to going in and like on a sales call and you start interrogating them with questions. Now it's so easy to do a little bit of research, you know, find enough on LinkedIn. And, you know, I always say like, do two minutes of research, enough to be dangerous, not creepy, right? Find something about them that maybe there's a past history. There's somebody that's a mutual connection that you can build some rapport and kind of break down the barriers before you truly understand that value proposition. And I think that goes into what I'm doing now is, you know, there's always two value propositions. It's the end consumer or the, the buyer that has a value proposition. And then you as a seller or a consultant, your goal is to marry them together from a value standpoint. With respect to the sales side, though, and being able to, you, you, you mentioned um, the value proposition, right? And, and understanding, being able to resonate with people. They're also, if you are moving around the country like you have had to do within your career, there might be cultures that you, you can't resonate with people. You don't know their experience. How do you ask the right questions to be able to learn, be able to put your, put yourself in their shoes. I remember even going to, to Purdue on, um, you know, within my journey and I'm like, I'm learning about the agriculture business and I have no clue, right? Like what their lifestyle is like, what they go through, what their business is, the terminology, all that sort of stuff. How do you ask the right questions? I think that's a great point of what you just mentioned. And, and, you know, I can think of, you know, a, a ton of industries and a ton of people that I had no clue. Like, you know, when I lived out in Phoenix, I I'd never lived out in the West Coast. You know, I was a Midwest guy. And, and so I think it's okay to be vulnerable. You know what I mean by that is like, it's okay to like go in and ask that question of like, Jake, like, tell me more about your industry. Like, I, I don't, I don't know a ton about that. Like help educate me. It's okay. Because I think too many times salespeople, they get kind of the bad term of slimy because they become, and they think they're the expert of everybody's life and everybody's journey. The end of the day, when you're a salesperson, you should be an expert of your product and an expert of yourself. Everything else, you got two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should do twice as much listening as you do talking. Ask the right questions. Don't get it. Don't go in and assume. And I think even from a sales end, if people are interested, they would have already bought. So we're already the reason we're making outreach is because they haven't bought. So we've got to be able to like break down those barriers and build rapport. And it's okay to show your vulnerability and your lack of knowledge of of industries don't you think there's also an element of fear of feeling like whether it's incompetent or, or not knowledgeable enough like like as a salesperson you go well if if you're on the other end right and the person goes well hey tell me about your business or you know tell me about your industry i don't know anything there's this fear of like well shouldn't you have you done your research it's like well kind of sort of to your point be enough have enough to be dangerous but yeah. You know, no, I no. think along those lines is like going into that and, and you know, say it's, you know, a, a specific type of law firm. Hey, I noticed on your website, some of the he, some of these type of people are your clients, but would you mind explaining a little bit more in depth of like, how does that business come to you? Or, hey, I noticed you, you've got quite a few testimonials from, you know, kind of this type of space. Like, 
what does that partnership look like with you and that specific type of client? So you're showing that you've done enough research, but again, like you don't want to come in because I've also sat in meetings with CEOs that when people will start just kind of like force feeding that they'll stop and be like, Hey, that, that has nothing to do with our business. You know, like I've heard a lot of salespeople in our business was I'm traveling around to teams and they'll say, Hey, we do a lot of business with, with companies similar to yours. And the first response from a CEO might be that company's not like me. And now you've just kind of dropped the ball. You're going to have to start, start over. Right. And so that's why I think going in vulnerable a little bit and also like, Look, many people are, are young. Like it's okay to utilize your youth and say, like, hey, I'm new to this business. Hey, I'm new to this market. I'm new to this area. Like, or in general, hey, you've clearly had a very successful career. Like, what do you think is one key attribute that you brought to the table every single day to be successful? Because people in decision-making process and decision-making powers love to talk about themselves and they'll share their story. As you think about your experience, you've been on the team side, then you're working at the league, working with teams, and then now in your role working with teams. What's the one nuance about a team and an organization that from the outside looking in, you, you just wouldn't know? You know, I think, it, look, in general, and I think this is probably a 30,000 feet view answer is because I get a lot of the questions because I've worked in the NBA, NHL, I've worked in Major League Baseball, you know, and, and, people are like, oh, what's the biggest difference between, you know, selling baseball versus selling basketball versus selling NHL? And, you know, I've worked with a lot of NFL teams and MLS teams now. And at the end of the day, in a sales process, it's all about the X's and O's. It's all about building the rapport and, and going through that process. So I think kind of high level, that's the big thing. And then I think as you get into, you know, to your point of, of nuances and like within the or each organization, it really comes down to like people. Um, and I think, you know, too many people, especially young people get caught up in like, this is my favorite team. So it's like what I want to work for, or, you know, I'm a dire, like, a, and you know, and we do a lot of recruiting. I'll hear people like, I, I, I don't want to work in basketball. Or I don't want to work in hockey. Like, I don't have a passion for that. And it's like, well, I'm not asking you to buy season tickets, right? I'm, I'm asking you to work in the business standpoint. I always said is when people come to me and I ask them why they want this job and they say, I'm the biggest you know, Diamondbacks fans, great. You should buy season tickets because that's not what we do here. Um, and I think, you know, I, I say that is like people lead. Money, title, and responsibility follow as long as you surround yourself with the right people. And so I think as, as anybody's going into those organizations, you want to you wanna vet out, going back even to the mentor question, like can you see some of this leadership team becoming one of your mentors? And you mentioned the recruiting piece, right? So we'll get into that here in a second. But just in terms of the people aspect, how do you go about when you're transitioning from market to market, uh, team to team, building those relationships internally with the right people and recognizing who they are, but then also before you take that job and, you, and you're thinking about making that transition, what are some of the things that you're asking yourself and also asking them because an interview is a two-way street, right? You're interviewing them, they're interviewing you. What are some of those things that you're asking them to figure out if it's the right people fit for you to make sure that, hey, I'm going to be in the right environment to succeed? 
Yeah. I mean, a little bit of it too, you know, as, as you think about it, it's like, are there any questions related to you as a person during the interview process, right? If you get in no different than if you're, you're selling somebody and you're just starting interrogating, you get into an interview and they're just interrogating you all about your business kind of acumen and what you're going to do from a planning stage, but they're not asking you know, about you personally, where you're from, who may be a part of your family, what's what excites you about a potential move here. I think that's a little bit of a red flag, um, you know, because, you know, the, the whole cliche saying, and, and it's true at times, like people just look at people like a sales number. And it's like, that's probably not the organization you want to work for. You want to work for somebody that's invested in you uh, in both your personal and professional growth. But, you know, and I think asking the questions of not only, you know, what does it look like for a, for an A-level talent in this position, you know, because that, that question kind of opens the ears because if they go and they just bash maybe the person that you're replacing or if they just say like it's all about this and that doesn't you know reflect how you feel about things or what you're aspiring to do or aspiring to look like you know I love I I love to ask career growth questions you know and understanding like not only for that role but what is what additional training and opportunities are you going to be as a candidate be presented with um, cause you also want, don't want to go and, and, you know, look, you may have that role for 10, 15 years, but you still want to continue to grow again. It's not all about the title. And so I think it's just asking those specific questions of truly understanding, like when they look at you as a potential candidate and a potential employee of their organization, are they going to care about you personally and professionally? And are they going to put the time resources and budget into truly developing you and your professional status? Back to the recruiting question of, you know, not only the sales aspect of it, but, uh, and, and the interview side, but as you think about the recruiting space and working with people, two, two things come to mind. One, as an individual in this industry, if you're listening, how do you develop relationships with recruiters? I think that's a, a, an interesting one to tackle. And then two, from the recruiting space on your end, what are you finding kind of the, the biggest change and trend in terms of trying to recruit, you know, a plus talent. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, I felt like I've always been in the recruiting space when I was on teams and now I'm, you know, that's kind of my career is, is helping teams recruit a level talent. And I think from your point of building rapport is like, think about how you react and respond. Right. And, you know, there's, there's not a day that goes by that, you know, either I don't get a response from somebody, but then, you know, th those are the best. Then all of a sudden, like three months in advance, they'll respond to that same message because they need help, right? It's no different than like, you know, somebody leaves your organization, like, hey, stay in touch. Let me know if I can be of assistance. And you don't hear from them for a year, but then all of a sudden now they're in the market. Now they need your help. And you're like, what do you want me to say? I, I haven't talked to you in 12 months. But I think also, you know, being able to to express your desires uh, and what you want to that recruiting space of like, what is an ideal role for you? And what are you looking for? And what from a location, from a compensation? And, you know, I think on the, the flip side, my, my biggest piece of advice, especially for young people, be willing to be willing to move, be willing to get out of your comfort zone. Because I think you think about differentiating one of the biggest challenges right now is there's there's a lot of roles that are hiring. But there's a lot of people are like, nope, I'm not moving or I need this title, or I need this money. And it's like, especially when you're young, like when you're, when you're a little bit more matured in this, in this industry, and you have, you know, kind of solidified your career path, you can be a little bit picky on location and compensation and title early on. 
be open to make a change, be open to get out of your comfort zone. You can always move back home or move back somewhere else. But if it's the right people, the right opportunity, the right organization, immediately that's going to differentiate yourself because there's so many people that are just, nope, I'm not, I'm not moving, I'm not relocating. Again, I don't know everybody's personal life. There might be personal issues, but if you're that person that's like, hey, I could potentially move, nothing's truly holding me back. That could be an opportunity for you to take it, dominate it, own it. And that could be the next career path that you can just launch. Well, and there's a little bit of selfishness to some extent, right? Like you can do anything for a year or two and go get that experience. And, you know, people would also then ask, well, why would I take it if I'm only going to do it for a year or two? It's like, well, it's an experience, right? Like the experience, just because you think you might be somewhere for five to 10 years, And then you end up there for two doesn't mean you failed. It's just, it's an experience, right? Like go get it, figure out what happens. Sometimes people take a job literally thinking, oh, I'm only going to be here for a year. And then they end up there for 10, right? Forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, it's, it's of the mindset of like, there's a little bit of selfishness and then, you know, go, go where the experience uh, helps you the most and helps you grow. Yep. Um, The organization aspect. I mean, look, the end of the day, uh, everybody's replaceable, right? Like whether whether you want to think you're not, right? I mean, everybody is, right? And yep. so there's always going to be someone else that can uh, do a job, do a role, like go get the experience. As we start to wrap up the episode, though, uh, I want to talk about uh, the recruiting space and uh, a little bit of rapid fire here. Yeah. Best question you like to ask people for for a role. Yes. Honestly, it's one of the last questions I ask every single time is outside of all the other people that want this same role, why are you the best fit? And, you know, a little peek behind the curtain. I'm not looking for somebody to like come up with excuses. Well, I'm not sure what other people have or, hey, this, that or the other. Like, I want you to basically give me your elevator pitch. Like, why are you the best fit for that role? Did you remember your first sale? I do. I do. What was it? I sold a uh, two season tickets to the Atlanta Thrashers, which going back to the sport, I had never been to an NHL game. I knew nothing about hockey until my interview was the first NHL game I'd ever been to. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it came down and I felt like I asked the right questions thinking back on it. I did not. Um, you know, I probably got a little lucky that he was already interested. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great to, to ring the bell. Favorite method of communication to a client, phone, email, text, phone call, calls, calls. Like it's, you thought we sell emotion in sports and what better way to evoke emotion than picking up the phone and and having that, having that call and showcasing that emotion. You can't show that emotion in an email, text, anything else. Love it. What's your one biggest misconception in sales? If the team wins, everything sells itself. Like, I mean, the, the amount of times I hear like either on one end, well, it's really hard right now because the team's not very good. And, you know, I've got a 330 winning percentage of all the teams I've worked for. Like it's, you know, it's rough. We've been mathematically eliminated very early on. But, you know, on, on the flip side, you have some really good teams that still have sales staffs because it's not a necessity product. So I think that's the biggest misconception. If the team wins, it's it's easy. And if the team loses, it's hard. There's one sport you haven't sold yet that you could, what would it be? <laughs> you know, I, I would love uh, football over in Europe. 
I would love to sell that in the premier league. That would be yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Aussie, Aussie football, maybe. Yeah. That would uh, be a lot cricket. of fun. There's, a, there's a, any there's of those of would be any of, of those ton of seats. Any of those I think would be really cool. Amazing. Travis, really appreciate your time, uh, perspectives, insights on the business. Uh, looking forward to many more episodes you do. And, and uh, you know, again, thanks for giving back on your end. Again, that's why we do this. Um, appreciate uh, your efforts there and uh, keep on keeping on. Yeah, no, Jake, certainly appreciate your time and, and and certainly appreciate everything you do from from the books and the podcast as well. I know, you know, there's always opportunity to give back. So certainly appreciate that. And, and thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.